Untitled Beatles podcast. TJ, how's your arm? How's your arm, guy? <laughs> you don't ask another man how his arm is unless you're looking to fight. My arm is not in good shape, so let's not fight. <laughs> it's uh, I, I'm still in a sling, so no piano today, which is a Aww. gift for people who enjoy quality piano. <laughs> no, that's a drag. Well, we, we hope you mend up soon. Uh, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. So I'm Tony. And, I, and I'm TJ. So everyone knows. And you, you're Tony. My <laughs> wife loves your voice. So kind of knock it the fuck off is kind of what I want to start out by saying. <laughs> your dulcet radio tones are titillating my wife, who I do keep inside until Trump wins again. <laughs> yeah, it's been a hell of a week. This is actually our first uh, podcast of the new year. And what a year it's been. Yeah. Stay safe, everybody. And stay sane. And we're going to make it through. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, I'm okay. This has been a, a devastating week for people who are fans of, what's the word, democracy. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine sent in a, a message to me, and we don't have to get too political here, but a friend sent a message saying that as part of the rioting, people were playing Beatles songs in the back. There were Beatles songs audible in the background. And it further confirms my point that if you support Donald Trump, you don't understand the Beatles. You don't deserve the Beatles. And the music is as meaningless as as dirty water flowing over your dirty face. Because to think that they're... If, if Beatles songs are inspiring right-wing rioting, you're getting it wrong. Period. Now, are you mad that they were using She's Leaving Home as the Beatles The mono song? version. At least use the stereo one. We can all... <laughs> I, the, the stereo She's Leaving Home makes me want to riot. <laughs> yeah (laughs) no uh yeah so yeah we don't condone any of that nonsense but we it's we are big beatles fans and uh that's where that is yeah that's that's silly i mean yeah we did a podcast on this a few months ago about the beatles and politics if you haven't checked it out and it's true i mean if the whole you know when paul mccartney's egypt station came out there was kind of a a semi-weak but meaningful song called Despite Repeated Warnings, that actually referred to Trump as a captain of a ship steering the ship into the ground. And even then, it was all the, why doesn't Paul McCartney stick to music and stay out of politics? And as we talked about on our last podcast about politics, Tony, and how it intersects with the Beatles, all the Beatles, the two surviving Beatles, and the the deceased Beatles families are dyed in the wool liberals who support Black Lives Matter, who support social justice, who've had their music banned from Trump rallies. So four out of four Beatles and their surviving families are on the side of the good. Yeah. Yeah, man. Don't you oh, when it comes to destruction, don't you know you can count me out? Not in. I'm not doing the uh, the other version. I'm saying out. This is <laughs> not the, the live single version, version yeah. right? The single version. Let, uh, all the single versions. Oh, I've got so many Beyonce parodies about Beatles releases. But before we do that, <laughs> let's get to today's topic, which is one that when you propose this, we should mention we have the incredible Casey Baker, uh, who's helping to produce these podcasts for us and helping to come up with uh, show topics. Who reminded us that January twentieth is the anniversary of the release of the first Capitol Beatles album in 64, Meet the Beatles. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I can't wait. There are a few albums, Beatles or otherwise, that have excited me and moved me and energized me more than this particular release. Oh, yeah. Tell you something. I think you understand. Like, wow, the Beatles. Aren't they the swinging living end? You dig, chick? I dig, Chuck. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, this is a great record. In fact, I gave it a spin today. I'm holding in my hand the original mono pressing from 64 that my father bought or acquired when he would have been, I guess, 14 years old. In fact, he has, uh, he wrote his name in the corner there. He wrote F. Mendoza. That was my dad, Fernando. Oh, that's awesome. How beautiful. Yeah. It's really yeah. sweet. Yeah. It's the original pressing. It's, uh, yeah, it's mono, turns out. I think this whole time I thought it was stereo. And then I looked at it and it's on the, the cover. It's, it says like also available in stereo. Mm hmm. It's a high fidelity recording. T2047 matrix number. P19. I think it was this. I think this is a Scranton meet the Beatles. Yeah, as opposed to a Westchester or a Jacksonville. All the EMI iterations. Well, that's you can always tell because the ST was for stereo and the the T was for mono. I'm holding a stereo copy from the late 70s, a Purple Capital copy. But more exciting, in my other hand... And we'll get into this a little later. The final vinyl pressing of this ever from 1988, the only pressing where they changed the catalog number, it begins with a C1. And in my estimation, the American C1 analog pressings in the late 80s are the best capital pressings you can find because people stopped buying vinyl at the time. These were rare. You couldn't find these. But as I was a 14, 15-year-old putting my collection together, a lot of the ones I bought were, were these last capital vinyl issues. And we'll get into that a little later. But Tony, uh, hip us to kind of the, the the history of this record, and then we'll talk about the significance too. Well, on the album cover, it says Meet the Beatles, and then underneath it says The First Album by England's Phenomenal Pop Combo, which is erroneous, as the VJ label had put out Introducing the Beatles 10 days before on January 10th, 1964. And uh, yeah, I, I see you're holding a copy in your hand right there. I'm holding a bootleg copy. For oh. those of you who loved going to record stores uh, in the 70s and 80s, there were hundreds of thousands of bootleg copies of this floating around. Most people who have this in their collection have uh, a fake pressing of it. Introducing the Beatles, you mentioned on VJ. VJ, one of the labels, when the Beatles had already released Please Please Me on EMI and Parlophone in the UK and throughout Europe, the American arm of EMI which was Capitol Records, wanted nothing to do with the Beatles. They said, guitar groups from Britain do not work in the States. We're not going to release it. So a lot of the early Beatles 45s and this introducing the Beatles record were on these fringy labels, Swan, Swan Tolly. Yeah. But mm -hmm. VJ especially has some significance because VJ was a blues-based label right here in Chicago. It yeah. never attained the same level of success as like a Chess Records in terms of its, uh, you know, roots in the blues. But it's kind of cool that the Beatles, kind of their first long player in the States, emanated from a Chicago-based blues label. I've always thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. They beat the Stones to that one. <laughs> That's right. And they beat the Stones <laughs> with I Want to Be Your Man, which is, which is uh, we'll, we'll get to in a little while. Let's talk about the album cover. I really dig it. It's the same photograph. It's the iconic Robert Freeman photograph from 1963, September of 63, with them, you know, lit on their right. So it looks like, you know, we see about half their faces in shadow. Uh, difference here is that on the American Meet the Beatles, they put the Nashville 
Instagram filter uh, over it, <laughs> which makes it all kind of blue. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a great cover. I read somewhere that Robert Freeman said that he put Ringo on the bottom because Ringo was the last to join the group. That the that the space constraints, one of them had to be on the bottom. That's why Ringo's on the bottom because he was the last to join the group. That's wild. I didn't know that. And then the back cover on Meet the Beatles was done by, I believe, Dezo. Dezo Hoffman. Yes, Dezo Hoffman. And you'll check that picture out. You notice that Paul is about a half a step closer in the foreground than the other Beatles, as if they're his sidemen, as if the American audience needed a lead singer. So that wasn't the first clue that he was dead? <laughs> it could be. And then George is in his funny stance where he's like got his arm, his left arm outstretched onto Ringo and he's got kind of a cowboy pose. Yeah, J- George touching Ringo's shoulder like they're doing a Smothers Brothers ad in the 60s. It's it's very funny. <laughs> See these little fellas? They're the Beatles. Inflatable Beatles. They're yours, the four of them, for just two dollars and two wrappers from Dove or Lux or Lightboy. So you'll find the Beatles at your supermarket in this display. Here's uh, John, Ringo, George, and Paul. Yeah, it's cool. You've read about them in Time, Newsweek, the New York Times. Here's the big beat sound of the fantastic, phenomenal foursome. Yeah, it's hyped up. I, I dig all the 60s hype. And I love some of the, the liner notes. That's the one thing about records these days is that you don't really you don't really get the liner notes. This is the original Tony Barrow line, liner notes that you could find on With the Beatles. He says, The Beatles all hail from Liverpool, a seaport city which, because its sailing men bring in the latest hit singles from America, is the hippest pop music spot in England. They wear pudding basin haircuts that date back to the ancient England. <laughs> Pudding Basin. <laughs> That's my favorite song from Porgy and Bess. I want to be very clear. <laughs> Obscure Gershwin joke for all you Gershwin heads out there. Gershwin heads. <laughs> There's a song about pudding in Porgy and Bess, I'm pretty sure. Uh. This is a great record. It's a fun record. And then, yeah, there's actually uh, additional liner notes on Meet the Beatles that you can't find on With the Beatles that were done by uh, uncredited gentlemen who went by the name of Angus Scrim. That was actually his pen name. His real name is Lawrence Rory Guy. Uh, but yeah, they list their ages and they, uh, they talk about all the chaos that's been going on in Great Britain with Beatlemania. Thousands of fans stood all night in pouring rain. The Beatles' first visit sets off a mob free-for-all, resulting in unnumbered broken limbs. I was reading these liner notes this morning and thinking like, oh, God, that's, it, I don't know. It felt like, oh, I would love there to be a, a joyous riot again, something like this, like a Beatlemania feel-good excitement as opposed to what's the current climate. Yeah, you, you remember when, when riots were uh, fans at JFK waiting for the Beatles to arrive? Not people dressed like they're they're going to a fucking furry convention trying to overthrow <laughs> democracy. Oh God, and and so very depressing. But hearkening back to these better days, the liner notes from the 1964 uh, Meet the Beatles album kind of set the precedent for the capital album, The Beatles Story, the double disc uh, narration that had very little music, it had instrumentals and a little clip, a twist and shout from the Hollywood Bowl. 
in 64. Yeah. But it's kind of, they were four young lads from Liverpool who came to change all that kind of weird newsreel style from that. And that's yeah. one thing these first couple Beatles albums have. They feel like they're written by these PR people. And it's it's all part of the beauty of the package. And to your point, it, it it's part of the experience. If you listen to Meet the Beatles while reading the back of this, it transports you to what Americans must have thought in early 64. Because it, just to put some context on this, when the Beatles broke in in America, they had already been huge in England for about a year, right? And yeah. all of a sudden, they break in in the States in the shadow of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's 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 funny because we it, actually it's not funny, but it's interesting that as we talk about the misplaced right wing anger uh, uh, attempt uh, at, at insurrection and sedition, none of us were alive in the 60s. I mean, our listeners might have been, but Tony, you and I were both born in, in the early uh, mid 70s. And. Beginning of 64, we're, we're still, uh, America's still reeling from the assassination of JFK and the promise that he brought with his election. You have, I want to hold your hand, hitting number one, Meet the Beatles being released and the Beatles going on Ed Sullivan when there were just three channels and most of the country was watching all within the span of like a month and a half. So this album, as great as the content is, I think where it just helped define its own zeitgeist was it caught a country in mourning with such brilliance and joy. The music, the cover, their personalities, their arrival in the States, Beatlemania's becomes so cliche, but it, it was transformative and it all began with this album. Capitol could have released Please Please Me, all those early songs that were on the Please Please Me album in the UK most of which were on the VJ introducing the Beatles, Capital passed on. Right. They were later released, at least most of them, on the early Beatles Capital compilation in 65, I believe. Yeah. Those songs by them were already two years old. So the real first burst Americans had of a mass-marketed Beatles debut began with I Want to Hold Your Hand and then this glorious record. It actually changed the mood of a country. Not a lot of albums do that. The world's most exciting group... Capital Recording Stars, The Beatles! Oh yeah, I'll tell you something I think you understand
originally slated for release in February, but because of the success of the I Want to Hold Your Hand single, they bumped it up to January 20th. Yeah, it stayed on the charts for 11 weeks, meaning uh, number one for 11 weeks. It debuted at number 92, uh, and then it went up to 15 the week later, and then they did Sullivan, and then it was number one on the charts, 11 weeks. And what took it out of number one was the Beatles' second album called The Beatles' Second Album. <laughs> Unimaginably titled, but arguably the second best in the Dave Dexter cap. I know you don't love second album as much as I do. I'm pretty sure because you don't love the covers. Am I misquoting you? <laughs> You're not incorrect. Uh, you know what? I don't own second album other than on the CD issue. I don't have it on vinyl. It's one of the few okay. American records I don't have on vinyl. And it's because, yeah, because it is mostly covers. And that is because Capital thought that if they put covers on Meet the Beatles, that it would turn off American record buyers. So that's why Meet the Beatles is so heavy on original material. That's right. There was a notion, I think, from Capitol at the time of why would American listeners want to hear this British group doing rollover Beethoven and, and money and some of the covers that were on with the Beatles that were huge in England when they can hear Chuck Berry and Barrett Strong doing them here in the States. And then, of course, the Beatles' second album, uh, they tacked on She Loves You and Thank You, Girl, in addition to uh, just a ton of covers. To me, it's like many albums in the Beatles' canon, but the second album especially, there's no other album that sounds like it in the Beatles' discography with all those covers. But getting back to Meet the Beatles for just a moment, as we talk about the impact of this record why is this different than with the Beatles? Why didn't Capitol just release with the Beatles? Well, there's a couple reasons. In England and in the UK, most albums, it was standard to have 14 songs. Right. In the States, it was standard to have 12 songs. Right. And at some point, it was decided by Capitol Brass and Dave Dexter, who was the one who kind of butcher covered the Beatles catalog <laughs> up through up through Sgt. Pepper. Um the Beatles didn't have, like, I Want to Hold Your Hand is not on an official British album. No. It's on, well, TJ, you're wrong. It's on Past Masters. That's not what I mean, know-it-all. I'm, I'm arguing with podcasters <laughs> yeah, you're, you're who want to pick a fight with yelling me. Yelling at people. <laughs> Sorry. I'm so, I'm so jacked up from the events this week. I'm so angry. Yeah, man. But, I mean, uh, other than 62 to 66, which was the first official album uh, worldwide, I Want to Hold Your Hand appeared on, I think it was on Collection of Beatles Oldies, but that was just a European release. Right. It wasn't part of the official Beatles album canon until the past Master CDs came out in 88. So this album kicks off in the strangest way and the most incredible way. It starts with I Want to Hold Your Hand, then goes to I Saw Her Standing There, which was the B-side in the States. Right. In the rest of the world, I Want to Hold Your Hand, the B-side was this boy, which is the third track on Meet the Beatles. So you have three songs to kick off Meet the Beatles that are not on with the Beatles. 
And then by the middle of side one, you get the incredible album opener from with the Beatles. It won't be long comes on in the middle, which just makes for an incredible listening experience because you've got two upbeat classics to begin a beautiful ballad and then another upbeat classic so good that George Martin, quote unquote, pot boilers, he wanted to open albums. All of a sudden, that one is is in the middle of the record. It's it's a wonderful listening experience. I completely agree. Yeah. Side one of Meet the Beatles kicks ass. Like you said, want to hold your hand. And I saw her standing there into this boy, which is a perfect coolant after those two songs. And one of my favorites, one of my favorite of their early songs. And like you say, right into I, It Won't Be Long, Bam Bam, into All I've Got to Do, one of the most underrated John Lennon, what do you want to call that, a soulful ballad? I don't know. I love that, whatever that rhythm and blues is. And his his vocal on that and the humming at the end, when, yeah. he, when he writes it out with just, mm, it is one of the, to your point, Tony, the most underrated John Lennon vocals in the Beatles catalog, yes. And then it closes with All My Lovin', which is just insane. Like, that side A is so heavy. It's It, it almost makes this record a, a bit lopsided in that way. You know what I mean? Like, side A is just like, whoa. <laughs> it's almost a greatest hits record. In fairness, every Beatles record is almost a greatest hits record. And that's the thing that makes them the Beatles. Uh, All My Loving is so ubiquitous that the average music lover would go, oh, it's one of their biggest hits. It's a single. I think it might have been a single in Canada, but All right. My Loving was never a, a, a worldwide single. It's just a testament to how great the Beatles music was that like, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, Tony, some of the Beatles best known songs, All My Loving, In My Life, Got to Get You Into My Life, which I know was a single after they broke up in the mid 70s for the rock and roll music album. But I'm talking about within the the, the time the Beatles were together. Some of their biggest songs weren't 45s. They weren't singles. But the Beatles quality was so good that like almost every Beatles songs is ubiquitous as a hit record, which has always been wild to me. Totally. Yeah. And they opened Sullivan with All My Lovin'. So it just feels like, oh, you know, it's a lead track, I guess, if, if not a single. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Let's Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. Tomorrow I'll miss you. I don't think I realized this, but Meet the Beatles is basically with the Beatles without most covers except for Till There Was You and then with the single starting off the record with the two B-side variations. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no, because this boy wasn't featured on an album until Past Masters. The instrumental version was on the Hard Day's Night soundtrack <laughs> in the States. Right. Quote, this boy, parentheses, Ringo's, Ringo's theme, theme, because when Ringo's a sad sack walking down the banks in Liverpool... Uh, dropping his camera in the water yeah. and the little kids fucking with him. <laughs> they kind of use the the wonderful George Martin orchestration of this boy for that. But yeah, on Meet the Beatles, I want to hold your hand. I saw her standing there. This boy, none of those were on um, uh, the With the Beatles equivalent. And two of those songs weren't even on an official Beatles album. And it was also standard in Britain to not put singles on albums, which is why 
past masters pretty much exists. And in the States, it was, it was the old, let's make as much money as we can. I mean, it was yeah. <laughs> a lot of the early Beatles records are an exercise in capitalism, right? It's like make them buy the 45, then make them buy it again on the record. That's why the record label is called Capital. <laughs> right. they, Thank they, you. They, they tried to change it to Reaganomics and just didn't have that ring. We'll see Beatles records trickle down. <laughs> Remember when Reagan wanted to use the term Star Wars technology during the whole uh, nuclear scare thing in the 80s? And George uh-huh. Lucas was like, you can't do that. You're not using Star Wars to promote nuclear war. <laughs> right. This is the real Star Wars. Speed of light weapons. Neutral particle beams. Ground-based lasers with free electrons using fighting mirrors. Hyper-velocity guns. So side two opens curiously with George Harrison's first composition, Don't Bother Me. And a great song and a dark song and one that I was very disappointed that when he did that one tour of Japan that never became a tour worldwide when he toured with Clapton, I was so upset the song didn't make it because it's such a great dark brooding song that's equally upbeat and dark at the same time it's it's there's nothing else like it yeah it's cool it's cool yeah and i don't know why he didn't continue writing until uh help you know maybe he was but i don't know why his songs weren't featured on let's say i guess beatles for sale or hard day's night you know it was covers or songs john and paul wrote for him don't bother me this is the remake we're calling it take 13 She's been gone, I wonder want to talk to me It's not the same, but I'm to blame, it's plain to see So go away, leave me alone, don't bother me I can't believe that she would leave me on my own It's just not right when every night Don't bother me Don't 
Yeah, and that also don't bother me on the liner notes here. Uh, it features Arabian bongos. <laughs> Great opener to the movie Aladdin. <laughs> For all you Disney fans out there. <laughs> but the rest of the album is basically with the Beatles, minus all but one cover, uh, Little Child, Till There Was You, Sar, one of my favorite moments, Sar. Never saw them winging. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And I, I will say I am a I've talked about my love for musical theater. If I could play piano right now, I would. I fucking love the music, man. I have the album. We listen to the album a ton growing up. And it's actually beyond just the coolness of Paul McCartney covering a song from Meredith Wilson's The Music Man. Many of us think he should have done Shapoopy. I want to be very clear that <laughs> why, why the Beatles didn't do Shapoopy or Wells Fargo Wagon. The improv warm-up game? <laughs> oh, what's better than improv? Improv warm-ups. There's more of us than in the house. Let's warm up for 20 minutes. No, I'm going to go stand outside and smoke a joint, but thank you. Got your back. Leave me alone. Got your back. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I, I, till, till There Was You was, uh, you know, people forget the Music Man album, I want to say 57, I could be wrong, um, was also on Capitol. And oh. there was a time <laughs> when Broadway cast <laughs> recordings were the biggest selling records you could get. The I think the first cast album that kind of took the world by storm in 43 was um, the Oklahoma soundtrack. But long playing records... You know, there there was a time when like West Side Story was on the charts for 30 weeks. I mean, yeah, it, it's significant that the Beatles covered this for two reasons. One, McCartney loved the song all the way going back to the Decca auditions when they did this with Pete Best terrible drumming in those auditions. That was some of the worst Pete Best you can hear is in those Decca auditions playing drums until there was you. He always loved the song. He loved the Peggy Lee version of it. And this song's significant for two reasons. One, George Harrison's incredible kind of Spanish influenced guitar playing. Yeah, it's good. That kind of copied the version from the Peggy Lee take on this. But also when they did this song on Ed Sullivan too, for parents wondering, what are my kids listening to? All of a sudden, they're covering one of the biggest show tune standards of the previous decade kind of ingratiated the Beatles to an older, more quote-unquote mature audience 
you weren't going to get the Stones doing bushel and a peck from Guys and Dolls. But you, 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 you I wish they would have. But you, you, you've got the Beatles doing a true standard from an American musical theater classic. And it's it's also a great song. My wife and I, this was our first slow dance. We had a Beatle cover band at our wedding. And oh, this was our cool. first slow dance. And they played it beautifully note for note. But it's one of the reasons that's significant is that it was a great song that also allowed non-screaming teenagers to understand what the Beatles were about. And in the same gesture, it did open the door for that Andrew Lou Oldham article. Do you want your daughter to, you know, marry us Rolling Stone or whatever, you know, and gave the Stones that option to claim that space. Right. And, and, and the Beatles and Stones were quite content each navigating their own spot while conquering British music and taking it worldwide. That's one of the cool things about the Beatles. And we're going to get into in a couple more songs how the Beatles and Stones intersected. But after Till There Was You is one that was written during the Please Please Me sessions, but wound up on With the Beatles and now Meet the Beatles. And that song, Tony, Hold Me Tight. Yeah, I like this song. I want to say when I, uh, this is just personal or whatever, but I worked on one of those cruise ships, uh, you know, over a decade ago. During that contract, and we were all over the Mediterranean and stuff, I had this song in my head, and I, I really liked it. it. It actually reminds me of ship life a little bit, so there's that. I like the song. People dog on it, but I like it. I like the song, too. I've never loved the way it ends. It just kind of slows down and gets whiny. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's <laughs> fun. It's, well, it's like a train. It's a train pulling into the station. kind of like it actually there's no other Beatles song that does that that i know of and it's cool that paul sings in 64 or in england 63 making love to only you right. is not a it, it is not a subtle lyric it's not i want to hold your hand or please please me no um making love to only you is sung by a Beatle in 64 that that's ballsy thank god tipper gore wasn't putting stickers on records back then <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, Michigan. <laughs> Parental advisory. <laughs> Explicit lyrics. It became a sign of like, oh, a good a good record then. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. it was only on Public Enemy and NWA. I was like, they were, that was like a weird kind of covert right. way to go after rap yeah. albums. They did it a little bit with, uh, I think they did it to Nirvana, I think, on Nevermind. But I, it was mostly, it was mostly dog whistle shit. Yeah. Uh, well, then we get into I, I Want to Be Your Man. Written for the Stones. And I mean, I got to say, I, I do prefer the Stones version. I like their take on it. But I, I do like this version. I like George Martin's organ playing on it. It's exciting. It's, it's definitely a more uh, 
rebel rouser. The other one is sexier and dirtier and garagier. And yeah, I, they both start so differently because the Stones start with a riff. The Beatles one yeah. starts with that one bent George Harrison note, which I've always yeah. thought was real cool. It almost sounds like a cry before Ringo starts to sing. Yeah, which many people cool. feel after Ringo starts to sing, <laughs> <laughs> they start to cry. But I, I actually I love the Stones version too. But my favorite version of the song is anytime there's a live version of Ringo singing it because he's bashing the drums and screaming it. Yeah, he's so screaming live it. Live like Beatles it. versions yeah. of this are are my favorite. Especially when he hits whatever the high note is. That one's always screamed. <laughs> lover. When he says like lover and stuff. Be a lover, baby. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that's a great one. And it's the Stones first, I think, charting single. And the Beatles wrote it for them. Oh, right. Yeah. Because their first single was uh, a Chuck Berry cover of Come On, which is a lot of fun. It's a great one. But I don't I don't think it did well. Where are you, Tony, in 2021 with the Beatles versus Stone? I mean, obviously you and I are both Beatle <laughs> nerds, but like. I think we talked tattoo you a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like at high school, me and my my dear friend Brad, friend of the program, loves the show. He's a huge Stones fan. We used to go back and forth like playfully in high school, Beatles versus Stones. But then you grow up and you realize, oh shit, they're both great. Right. I certainly love the Beatles on a different plane than I love the Stones. Yeah. But not in a way that diminishes the Stones. Their great albums are, and they have like 15 great albums, are some of the best albums in rock and roll history. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not going to shit on the Stones at all. You know, Steel Wheels is what it is. You know, whatever. Like we all age, things change. You know, it's, it's the same thing as whatever, in my opinion, Flowers in the Dirt or whatever. It's not my favorite period of music in general, 1989. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say that. 1989, not into it so much. You obviously have not listened to Eric Clapton's Journeyman and Marshall Crenshaw's <laughs> Good Evening. <laughs> no, I think I like the 89 remix of Send Me an Angel by Real Life Australian <laughs> New Wave Band. Send me an angel. 
And then the album ends again with like another curiosity, not a second time. We talked about the song a few podcasts ago, um, how we like the piano solo in it. It's one of our favorite moments. I still love this song. I still think it's a, a great, strange John Lennon song. Fun way to end. I think this is the one where the British music critic talked about John putting alien uh, cadences in there. Right. I'm not getting the term right. And John was like, in his interview, he goes, I, st- I don't still know what it means. It sounds like exotic birds. Right. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have like an obvious verse, chorus, middle eight in your face on the nose thing. It's a curious way to end this record. It, it's almost like a bordering on a cliffhanger ending. It's like, what is this band about to do? It doesn't end like uh, with the Beatles ends with money, which is a solid people know that song. It's familiar. It's like a twist and shout part two kind of a thing way to end the record. This one ends on a strange deep cut, like still not a lot of casual Beatle fans even know this song. And as we talked about before, this song gets derided because of that kind of loungy piano solo that I love. That's George Martin playing piano in the solo. Yeah, it's and great. it's, it's just a bit behind the beat, but it, I, I, I love it because it, I, I've never taken that loungy piano solo at face value. I've always taken it as kind of a cool stylistic choice in an era when the Beatles were trying anything and everything. Yeah, it's cool. You know you made me cry. I see no use in wondering why. This is a hard album to find or to be able to listen to. Like if you want, wanted to stream this, you you can't. You have to kind of piece it together on Pandora with playlists and this kind of a thing through with the Beatles, Please Please Me and Past Masters. You you have to assemble it. But you can get it on CD. There's two versions. There's what, the 2004 version, which is the original U.S. mixes. Is that right? 
Yeah, there's, uh, but even that's out of print. The 2004 mm. CD remaster, there were two box sets that were shoddily assembled in 04 and 06 called the Capital Years. Not to be confused with the Capital Albums, which was the box set from just a couple years ago in honor of the Beatles' 50th, I think 2014. But in 04, right. the first four Beatles albums, Meet the Beatles, second album, they didn't include um, Hard Day's Night because that was a United Artists album. So it was Meet the Beatles, second album, Something New and Beatles 65 were part of one box set that was like put together like an old KTEL compilation, which was embarrassing <laughs> coming out of Capitol. Like the packaging was flimsy. There were typos. Oh. Part two had early Beatles, Beatles VI, Help and Rubber Soul. You call it Beatles VI. I like that. That's what I've always called it. It's right. Beatles six, but I've always Beatles called it VI. VI. That sounds like. Magnum P.I. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look, I like Tom Selleck. I love Blue Bloods. We're going to MAGA. And uh, why does everyone cancel Tim Allen? That's <laughs> um, <some> better. <laughs> that's, I love, there was an era where like, we're like, uh, I don't care if we repeal Obamacare. They're going to cancel Tim Allen's show. Like, what, dude, These people are just absolute morons. Um, but yeah, so Beatles VI, which I always call it, or Beatles 6. Um, so those eight albums on those out-of-print box sets use the original Capitol mixes, which was great because they sound exactly the way the album sounded in the 60s, both stereo and mono on each disc. They were certainly cleaned up and remastered, but they weren't using the original master tapes, most of which Capitol didn't use for, to press their albums. Right. In 2014, when Capitol went and finally issued both in a box set and as individual CDs, all the American albums, they used, with a few exceptions, the 2009 remasters, which sound better, but then took a lot of the special mixes used in the Capitol albums and threw them away. So on on songs like She's a Woman and I Feel Fine that were drenched in echo, She Loves You and I'll Get You with the duophonic stereo and second album. Right. You can find all of those as you heard them on vinyl on the 04 collection. You will not hear those as you heard them on vinyl in the 2014 remasters, which you can still kind of find in stores. So I'm glad you brought it up because this album sold over 5 million copies. This is one of the single biggest selling records. I'm going to get in a soapbox for a second. So stand the <laughs> fuck back because I, I'm going to go ahead and say with all due respect to Sergeant Pepper, no album in the history of rock. And I mean, this is more influential than meet the Beatles because it is meet the Beatles. That was the gateway to Beatlemania in the largest music market in the world, the United States and that spurred generations and worldwide acclaim for this band. And this album, every used record store has, has a beat-up copy somewhere. You can go buy this used for sure. But this album has not been in print since 1988. In 1992, that was the last cassette version made of this. Mm -hmm. uh, this album has only been in print on CD in its 2009 remastered form since 2014, but finding this album, this seminal genre busting world changing album is almost impossible. And it's unfathomable to me. Yeah. Right. I guess, I, I mean, I guess in 2009, the world decided that the proper thing is just going to be the UK releases and this is it. They're just trying to simplify it and take away all the craziness of the whole 
you got to buy three different versions of things. But at the same time, yeah, it wiped out. It also wipes out the those mixes you're talking about that were last put onto the 2004 CDs. That's all the Dave Dexterizing stuff, right? The echo and all right. that, the stuff he thought would appeal. The phonic stereo, yeah, yeah. Fake stereo that would appeal more to Americans for some reason. <laughs> we like reverb. The kids like echo. I picked up a, a bunch of these Beatles records at Reckless. Um, they're all in terrible condition, though. That's the thing. They're scratchy as hell. VG, you know, if you want very good condition, which means bad condition. But I'm I'm glad I have them. I'll put them on. In fact, this morning I listened to this actual copy of that my dad, you know, my dad's copy. I had forgotten because I hadn't listened to it in a while. I pulled it out like, oh, yeah, that's right. This doesn't have a dust jacket in it. Like it's just bare record into the cardboard and it's scratchy as hell, especially side two. Yeah. I guess I would be, I'd be curious to hear these Dave Dexter mixes uh, without all the, the pops and all that. Well, you can on the 04 and 06 box sets. Right. And in fact, Capital in the second box set that featured rubber soul capital got it wrong. Capital for the stereo and mono rubber soul. The mono rubber sole has a whole different mix than the stereo rubber sole. Like I'm looking through you has a has a, a different beginning. There's kind of a right. a, 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 the fake, uh, a fake out guitar start, intro, right? the false start. Yeah. But Capital mistakenly used the fold down stereo for the mono, which didn't have the false start. So some pressings don't even have the correct mastering from the original rubber sole from 65. It's just the, the attention to quality and detail was just uh, abhorrent. Because I'm crazy, I've got both versions, because you, you got to have everything. But <laughs> the other thing about not being able to find this record, this in its in its original form, the way it originally sounded with ease, Capital for its anniversary a couple years ago was releasing classic records on 180-gram vinyl. There is a, a remixed or remastered Pet Sounds. Band of the Run, I think, was part of that. They announced a 180-gram pressing based on the original master tapes of Meet the Beatles, and it was scrapped at the last minute. Uh, yeah, it'd be good to have that, I think. I don't understand. When the CDs first came out in 87 and then continued to 88, that's when the big decision was made to go with the British releases. I get that. At the time, 
this album was still in print on record and on tape at various, you know, wherever you bought your, your fucking Camelot music or Sam Goody or wherever the hell you went. Hashtag Goody got it. I think Sam Goody closed before there were hashtags, right? <laughs> um, by the way, I still go to Suncoast Video and just uh, look at VHS copies of Reservoir Dogs like I did in college. So they're like, do I need it again? Wait, what What Star Wars am I buying, man? Is this the one I remember? George Lucas fun with this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is this the pre... Yeah. <laughs> right? Remember that? That's a whole other thing. Well, yeah. I want to see Star Wars without all the garbage, bad VFX thrown in there. Dumb monsters running around. <laughs> Well, uh, did you see that they're reissuing the first three Star Wars, but they've added in Jar Jar Binks to each film? They've, just, they've decided just to kind of... For, for the Star Wars purist. Missy called Jar Jar Binks. Missy, your humble servant. That won't be necessary. Excuse me. So, uh, Tony, there's going to be a time, uh, whether you or our audience likes it or not, where we're going to get into a discussion about the U.S. versus the British albums in full, because I believe they both have their merits. I've always said my favorite Beatles album is the American Rubber Soul. But yeah. it is still astonishing that in 1987, the Beatles, in an effort to standardize their catalog, erased history. You could not get the United Artists Hard Day's Night soundtrack on compact disc until 2014. That shit came out in 1964. Yeah. 50 years. It took 50 years. Took 50 years for one of the biggest selling records in American chart history to make its way to CD. And by the way, those uh, those George Martin orchestrations are cool as hell. They're fun. I know we're not doing a Hard Day's Night episode, but they're fun and they're of their time. So it is frustrating that a younger Beatle fan who just might listen to the Beatles on Spotify or Pandora or on any of the streaming sites, iTunes Music, can't stream Meet the Beatles. Unarguably one of the most seminal records in the history of the recording industry. It's crazy that the Beatles' career is so vast and so thick that they've had the nerve to eliminate some of the history that helped make Beatlemania what it was. I've never understood it. Well, the album's called Meet the Beatles. If you wanted to assemble it on your streaming, because uh, it is hard to find, uh, the album, it starts with I Want to Hold Your Hand. However, the original fake stereo version that was on the album and the 04 CD, you will not find. So if you really want the actual experience, you got to find out the duophonic fake stereo version. Well, how do we get that? It's not on streaming, right? It's not. You got to find it on YouTube or okay. hit, me, hit me up in the email chat. <laughs> I want to hold your hand. I saw her standing there. Ditto, I want to hold your hand. It's fake stereo on the uh, Meet the Beatles pressing. This boy, uh, then it won't be long. All I've got to do, all my loving, don't bother me, starts off side two. Little child, till there was you, hold me tight. I want to be your man and ending with not a second time. And then the songs that were on with the Beatles that are not on Meet the Beatles include Please Mr. Postman, Roll Over Beethoven, You Really Got a Hold on Me, Devil in Her Heart, and Money. All of which made their way to the Beatles' second album in the States. Right. And that's, so there begins the whole U.S., U.K. thing. There were thousands of fans on hand as the Beatles arrived at Kennedy International Airport in New York. We asked some of them why they were there. How old are you? I am 18 and a half. 
And where do you go to school? I go to City College, and I want to welcome the Beatles to New York on behalf of City College and Tau Epsilon Phi. How old are you? I'm 16. Why are you here? Because uh, everybody else is here. I don't know. It's Did you cut school come down here? No, we have half day. You have half a day off? Yeah. I cut school. What do you think of the Beatles? I think they're great. I really what do you think of them? I think they're fabulous. We're from Arkansas. You're from Arkansas. The Beatles. You came up from Arkansas. Oh, that's right. Last Tuesday morning, sir. How old are you? 18 years old. Hey. What? Are, are you from school in Arkansas? Yeah, University of Arkansas, Fayetteville. And you came up here just for the Beatles? Yes, sir. That's right. We come from Clifton. What do you think of the Beatles? Oh, okay. More. I want to come see excitement more than anything else. How old are you? How old are you? 16. Where are you from? So I realized a few minutes ago I went on a rant about the very specific versions as preserved on the original Meet the Beatles record. And a week or two ago, I went fucking crazy about the song coming up and Kenny Doglish. But <laughs> this comes from a place of loving the Beatles so much and perpetually being confused by how they get their own history wrong so many times. Every Paul McCartney archive collection has gotten at least one thing wrong. Many of the Beatles reissues have gotten things wrong. There's a spelling error on the Magical Mystery Tour 180 gram vinyl that came out um, in 2012. Quality control under EMI slash Apple slash Calderstone slash Universal slash whatever has never been what it should be. So this is I know it's nerdy. And I know it's really specific, but I, I I understand there are people who say, well, we don't we don't need to hear the echoey I feel fine or the echoey she's a woman. I get that. But you also can't erase history. To release these albums and not be authentic to the way they were first heard is just fucking weird to me. That's all. <laughs> Your Honor. <laughs> By the way, that typo on the Magical Mystery Tour, that was Magical Mystery Trout. I don't know how that happened. Oh, look at this here. Our producer, KC. I just called him KC like it's initials. KC and the Sunshine Band. KC. <laughs> my, 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 my buggy shoes. Did I make that up or is that KC and the Sunshine Band? I think that's Band? them. I don't even know, man. You're Mr. Disco. I am Mr. Disco. <laughs> Thank and you. I'm Sister Disco. Oh, Big fan. nice. Who? I do like that song. Great tune. But uh, Casey's going to link a uh, a streaming version uh, so that maybe uh, you could listen to this album. But again, you won't get the true experience because it doesn't have the duophonic Dave Dexter, fake stereo, extra reverb, extra mayo, hold the pickles, sesame seed bun version of this American classic, Meet the Beatles. American classic, just like a Whopper. <laughs> Ooh, hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special order, don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve in your way. All right. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe.